welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another week of Cannon Fodder. My name is Joe O'Brien. And I'm Troy Minderhalls Lavalley. Wow. You see what I did Minderhalls Lavalley. Minderhalls Lavalley. <laughs> is that an apostrophe S? I think Do it's, you belong to Minderhalls Valley? I think there might be some copyright infringement. <laughs> <laughs> good, buddy. It is good to see you again. It's all right to see you. Uh, thanks, pal. Really, <laughs> give me a boost to start this one. That's what I do. I was trying to think of a different way to start this episode. I wasn't sure exactly how to how to do it, but I wanted to get across how sneaky I wanted to be. I wanted to be like, Troy, Troy, it's time for Cannon Fodder. <laughs> and then just run across my apartment. <laughs> Three mile run. Oh, man. It is a stealth incursion in episode 94 of the Glass Cannon Podcast, and we'll talk about it in episode 40 of Cannon Fodder. Oh. Four, zero. I brought champagne. No, <laughs> not yet. No, you didn't. You brought one beer for yourself. <laughs> I did. I'm I sitting did. here looking at you drink a cold. Well, drink. I can't get up now and give you one because that, that'd be rude to our listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You already have the headphones on there plugged in. What, what are you going to do? What am I going to do besides drink this ice cold six point Bengali IPA? All right, that's enough. <laughs> oh, Joe, you thirsty? Did you drink it up before you came over? Such a jerk. Stay hydrated, buddy. We made the decision to go in. You did. We did it. I'm glad. I thought you guys were going to wimp out. I thought we might wimp out just as a collective group once the conversation got going, but I'm going to be honest with you, peek behind the curtain, we all, it's like after all the trial is over and the whole jury got pulled into the room and the jury chairman said, "Okay, you know, let's just start out with saying who thinks they're guilty." Show of hands. We just started it out with an email that said, "Who thinks that we should just try to literally go right in here and stealth through this whole place and everybody was like in <laughs> see now two, now, ep- there two was... episodes ago when the Smilodons came out had the Smilodons not come out I think you guys would have bolted yeah yeah. actually that's an interesting point I was felt very confident as you guys were walking away right before I dropped the encounter on you I was like oh they're they're done yeah we're gonna go backtrack around to the north or south yeah. entrance that combat changed things. And I think the thing that it changed the most was that the wall guards weren't even able to alert anyone inside. Yeah. That gave us a little clue, a little intel into how maybe not disorganized necessarily, but how far apart they are and without that means to communicate. And I'm sure that they're not terribly concerned about a major attack coming. You know, they're giants. They think that they pretty much have this under control. Yeah, and probably not from five small people. Totally. (laughs) You know, they're not expecting that right so i thought that 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 was one argument obviously to go in and i should say that there were several caveats after people said we want in we want to go in right now and stealth there was still like but we have to think about this and we have to do this and are we being really stupid are we just trying to be foolhardy for no good reason is that the definition of foolhardy i think it is (laughs) did i just (laughs) become redundant it is a very daunting task to take on. And it, it begs that question that a lot of players go through, which is, am I being overcautious or am I being foolhardy? There, that line, you walk very thinly as a player. To the GM, it is so obvious when players are being overcautious. And it's so incredibly obvious when they are being so stupid that you should just kill their character. <laughs> right. That is obvious to the GM. But you have to... 
understand that it's not always obvious to players. We thought that by, a lot of times it's reading your GM. We thought by reading the clues that you were giving us at the end of 93 about how far separated they were, about how there was cover here and there, little nooks and crannies we could probably sneak in, that sneaking in was at least to some degree an option. It may be more dangerous, but at least it's an option. It helps that we're able to to read you, but we were definitely... I mean, there were a couple of times where it almost completely turned around over one thing that somebody said, one concern that somebody had, which is one of them was we can't get into like an encounter with like a camp and just right. slaughter them silently. Baron's got a gun. So <laughs> we're, if we fight with anybody, we're going to be fighting with everybody. And I said that uh, we could just run like that would be a legitimate thing. If we saw something we really didn't like or got into some serious danger. You know, we could just run, and and Grant was like, "You're on a wolf, and Della can fly. Like, <laughs> right. what the hell am I going to do?" <laughs> you know. Yeah. So there were those those concerns. So th- there was a lot of risk. There was a lot of risk to it. But in the end, we decided to do it. And I, for one, am really excited because it's been a while. I think since we've had a legitimate, or have we ever, like a really legitimate stealth mission, straight up. Stealth mission, not one that we need to sneak through here or there for a second, but like where we are all actively. Will took his armor off. Will's just wearing leather. Yeah, Lexington yeah. took his armor off. Everybody's trying to be as quiet. You know, Baron is not going to use his gun if stuff comes up. Well, yeah, sneaking into Red Lake know, Fort. Fort. Oh my god! Like an Stop idiot. it. Sneaking into Red Lake Fort. Uh, I think it's because oh, there's a sorry, K. Larry, there's a K in Red Lake, so I always want that K to continue. Red Lake Fork. <laughs> Sneaking into Red, Red Lake Fort was certainly a stealth mission, but that you were in, and then it was like, all right, let's go. But this was right. this is just much different, and so much happened in this episode that was really just a, a journey from the gates to inside the inner gates. It's insane that you guys did it that way, and uh, you know, I told you guys off the air afterwards. There's a, I can't even tell you how many different ways that could this. How do I want to say this? That this could play out. And this it's just interesting to say that the see the this way that one it universe, out for you guys. one yeah. iteration that is so rare among all the and, and other people playing Giant Slayer would be like, oh, we never thought to do that. You know, <laughs> it's 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 really interesting. So, talk to me for a second about can you just refresh my memory on some of the things that we saw? And I'll be honest with you, as as a player, we had talked about previously on Cannon Fodder last week. We talked about the. The recording setup and how, you know, I'm doing Sirenscape and I'm doing audio levels and stuff a little bit during the show. There was so much input while we were sneaking through there. (laughs) And Will is so not in charge of a stealth mission that I was kind of just following Nestor and Baron's lead and Della really to some extent. So I I might have missed some things. Would you just quick go over flashes of what we saw in there? Because I am still not able to piece together what is really going on. I'm sure we'll find out eventually, but for right now, I remember poop carts. The poop carts. I remember fam- families. I remember giant kids. Yeah, they were uh, giant kids, wives and children of giants. Yeah. So remind me where they were. To the south. Right, let's go. Let's, let's begin yeah, the beginning. Right, yeah. Let's go back to the begin at the beginning. 
you're a hundred yards, hundreds of yards away between you and the nearest camp. So you snake along the southern wall, uh, and finally, uh, Baron, which is to our left, to, which is to your left. So Baron and Nestor then skulk up to this tent that looks empty. Sure enough, it is. Um, but there was a fire outside the tent. There was a fire Dying outside fire. the tent. But whoever, whatever giants are at that camp, weren't there for the moment. Okay, they come around, they see other giants, all sorts of stuff so in the you, distance, are far away, the dest- hundreds yeah, of yards. Because the camps, they 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 stick to them to their own kind. The hill giants stay with the hill giants, like I said. The stone giants with the stone giants. The Ettons and the ogres, uh, all with their own kind. So you see, the nearest camp is still another couple hundred yards away, but they're all over the place. So then you guys go for another mile or so, and that's where the valley starts to open up with a road to the north and a road to the south. And I had said, I don't know if it was the previous episode or reiterated at the beginning of this episode, that to the north, uh, really the giants that are going that way have nothing more than the weapons on their back. Whereas to the south, they're going with like provisions and bags and wood. And you guys just, what the hell is going on here? Meanwhile, there's a snaking column of giants leading up to a inner gate that is protecting the cathedral, which sits atop a plateau on the other side of that gate. But you can't quite see what's going on that gate either. You obviously see by the end of the episode that there are four stone giants uh, guarding the gate. Bouncers. Bouncers. So, you know, there was a time, I think it was the second tent you guys went to, you were like, that dung cart. Maybe we could stow away on that. And there was a discussion, and I think, I can't remember which one of you was like, oh, I don't think it's a good idea, but you know, you saw this dung cart seemed to be the only, with an ogre, four or five ogres pulling it, seemed to be the only group that had free reign to walk from camp to camp. And so that question came up. But they were going towards the north, where the giants were going with their weapons. You guys decided against it, went back to the wall to your left, and then started going south. You go south, and you see filth, rats scurrying over your feet, and giant wives and children down there. You didn't see any of that at the camps in the middle of the valley, but you see that down here, and you see a cave opening also on the other side where once in a while a giant will come in and out. But that's wait, isn't that where they a were? Direction. It, okay, so that's not where the provisions were headed? They weren't going into that cave? No, because you could see people bringing provisions to this settlement, for lack of a better word, that was happening down here. Oh, so that we saw where the provisions were going. Yeah, yeah, that's they're building some sort of camp here. But I mean, Got the, it. the waste, like a village, they're building like yeah. a village in the shadow of the cathedral for the for the families. Right. But what makes this group different from the groups that are in the main part of the valley, or what's happening to the north? Was there a consistency of species with the families, or were there? Stone giant families and hill giant families Same, and, and families. I think I I can't remember what I said. I don't want to misquote myself, but I think I said that this one was mainly hill giants, uh, Ettons and ogres or something like okay. that. Yeah, this particular group was with worth, the families. With those, yeah. And you had also seen a bunch of uh, when you looked to the north before you went south, you saw a bunch of pits that were lit up by the night yes, sky. Yes. And so you guys are trying to piece together what that is. So anyways, then you make your run across. That run was crazy. You were like, you could just make a run for it. And I could it's tell three miles half away. of you realized the distance before I said it. <laughs> yeah. And then half of you thought it was like a 50-foot run. It's like, <laughs> right. no, it's three miles, but it's pitch 
blackout. There's right. no fires or campfires here separating the you know the main camp from this southern camp. So insane, insane. that we read through that. <laughs> I mean, I, that's another one of those things. I want the the drawing of that. Yes, yes. See you guys running up against the wall, and then you, it would just be totally black. And Baron had said very, very early on, I wonder if there's any type of sewage system. If dwarfs had made this, they would have had that. Well, it wasn't dwarf construction, but sure enough, you smell it, and you end up crawling through the sewage, and now you're at some strange tent outside the cathedral. So wild. So let me ask you, that, that was so much detail, and I'm, thank you for going over it again. It was, there was so much happening in yeah. there, and this was supposed to be you know, in the middle of the night. So this is my generic general GM question. I'm going to guess that that's not how it's supposed to be. This is a 24-hour operation where wives and children are up and walking around at 4 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning where these fires are constantly going, where people are constantly going north with weapons 24 hours a day. Is this a situation where this stuff is really supposed to be happening during the day and we chose a night advancement and you let us see some of this stuff just so we could have some of the exposition and know what was going on. Just because I know and have experienced before the situation where you have very cool things for the players to see and understand at a certain time of day. And if they choose to go another time of day, they're going to miss out on a lot of information. Did that happen here? Did that enter your mind at all? What I can say is had you gone during the day, you would have seen different things. You would, oh, have, you really? would have seen some things that you didn't see at night. Okay. Whereas going at night, you're seeing some things you wouldn't have seen during the day. You know. For, so it was accurate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> okay. mean, it, what's nice is that oftentimes these adventure paths are written so perfectly, they'll tell you if the PCs choose to go at night, blah, blah, blah. They choose to go at day. But sometimes they just leave it up to you, the GM, to parse out that information as you say see fit. And so for me, I've got to choose how much of the story I want to reveal at this point and how much I want to save uh, and how much I may never tell you based on what you do. And in this case, I think uh, I really just wanted to paint the picture for you guys. And I think I think I was able to, to do that. Yeah, but I don't think we discussed at all how kind of strange that was that this was all happening in the middle of the night. That's a lot of activity for the middle yeah. of the night. And that is something to address. Next time we sit down, I'm talking about this. I think it should be brought up. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's so funny. It's like in my preps, I always try to think what you guys would do, but I don't know why it never dawned on me that you guys would go at night. I don't know. I think just because it was day when you fought the Etten and the Hill Giant and the Smilodons, I thought you guys would just go Start in. going in. Yeah. It just, I don't know. For some reason, it never dawned on me that you would backtrack, find a little niche camp and come back at night. At this point, I should be ready for you guys to do that because you've been doing both like sleeping through the night to travel during the day and vice versa. But it just never dawned on me until you did it. And I had to be like, okay, go through my uh, Rolodex in my brain. All right, let's do it. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I have had that experience before and have made some adjustments to what they say happens at night, just so you can see more Mm -hmm. because if you're sneaking in somewhere and the idea of seeing the activity and what is happening is the exact mechanic by which you have this exposition so the characters can start to put together what's going on. I think that's a little bit more fun than having us go in and having all giants be asleep and us walk through the valley and there's no activity, nothing's happening, and we walk through. Yeah, that's no fun. Yeah, there's no fun there. There's no mystery, really. It's just, oh, they're all just here asleep and we're, we're sneaking through. It might be successful, but not necessarily interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, I would, I would say if it's not accounted for in the book, make sure that you are still having some level of activity to 
pique the interest of the players even at night to say why is this happening at night what is what is going on here and they're also like hordes of mongrel giants they don't sleep on our schedule (laughs) (laughs) that's true that's probably their like go time is 4 (laughs) a.m they're basically let's do this ravers time to clean the poop it's 1 (laughs) a.m it's poop cleaning time (laughs) well let me ask you this change of subject if we were we were successful as i said in moving all the way through here were you well exactly were you joe that's the question there it's hard for us to know from a metagaming standpoint because you only gave a stealth roll to nestor Mm -hmm. you gave the highest person in the party the stealth roll to quote unquote uh, cover the party i guess and I wonder why you did that versus common sense, which would say you take the lowest stealth roll to represent the stealth for the group. What what drove that decision? Um, I wanted to have a dynamic where Nestor, this former prisoner, became the de facto leader for a moment and see how that dynamic changed the group. Um, because ultimately, I made it pretty clear that like rushing in there and running up to a group of giants was going to be suicide. But if right. you played your card right, cards right, there might be a way to do this. So I see, and this is something that we probably could have role played a little bit more. It's I wanted to use Nestor's role because Nestor is saying, "Do this, do that, walk this way, take off that armor." Do so that's what that stealth roll. So represents. that's what that represented. It, and you know, obviously, I, w- I was definitely rolling opposed perception checks in my own way as to those stealth rolls. But Nestor's rolling thirty plus, and you know, if you right. assume that most of these creatures were distracted, that's like a minus ten, minus twenty to their right. perception. Um, they're not looking specifically for him, right? They're not like, "Where's Nestor? Or where's that group?" But maybe someone is, or maybe some group is. But I just really wanted to establish the idea that Nestor's in charge right now. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I like that. That that makes a lot of sense. At the time, I wasn't super into it, um, just because I thought, as a GM, I've always had the lowest stealth check be representative of the stealth. Sure. But I do like the idea of that captain's role kind of thing mm-hmm. that covers the more inexperienced people because they're watching him, they're doing what he says. I think that that's a good idea. And it also created good story because we were able to sneak through this place, which I find to be re- more interesting than a TPK. I'll say that much right now. And honestly, the, for the roles that really matter were the ones where you guys decided, all right, we're just going to send Baron and Nestor. Yes. You know, if you, if Sir Will was like, you know what, I think I want to go too, and rolled a four, well, maybe there was going to be repercussions. But you right. guys played it the way you played it. I'm all about, it's so hard with these type of rolls. And you're like, all right, everybody roll a stealth roll. Uh, 31, 35, two. Well, everyone else rolled well except you, so now I got to have repercussions for that. I like the right, idea. and then you make that player feel like it's all on them. They screwed everything up, you know. Right. I like the idea of like, all right, you guys roll. If you rolled well and beat their perceptions, then I have no problem with them being like, come, 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 and then no one has to roll a stealth roll because okay. they passed. Had they failed, right. then well, you clear. guys are two or three rounds away from getting to that fight. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, but yeah, that's that's one of the things you can do as a GM with with self rows is like make the party decide who's going to lead the charge, and when they successfully, hopefully, make those checks, then they can wave the party forward for free. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Uh, well, we eventually get all the way through. We we swim through all that dung, come out the other side, send Baron and Nestor up, yeah, sneaky like. Up to the tent. Yeah. And what do they see inside? What oh, is it? Man, horseshoe table full of a bunch of instruments and oh, jars full of eyeballs. So creepy. And the back of some creature, right? 
Yep. Oh my god, I cannot wait to play again and see what it is. But rather than speculate, <laughs> I'd like to answer a listener's <laughs> mail if if that's okay with you, <laughs> Sir Troy. It is not. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I didn't realize I had that power. <laughs> we are having a good time. Woo! Man, are you enjoying your beer as much as I am? Damn it. I'm so angry. Drew from Maryland. Hey, our buddy Drew. Wait, no, this is a different Drew. This is a different Drew. This is not our close personal friend, Drew. Bet you this Drew likes crab cakes. <laughs> And Old Bay seasoning. You like the Maryland blue crabs, do you, Drew? You terrapin. <laughs> Drew writes in from Maryland to say, as a GM, he, uh, he, he asks, as a GM preparing to run anything in the inner sea, a world with more material created in it than you can shake a stick at, how do you prepare? Now, we've talked about GM preparation ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. This is a much more specific question about running in Galarian, running in the inner sea region, do you make your own path, which I'm going to say that means do you create your own kind of content around the main content of the AP, or do you try to just use what already exists and stick with that in terms of setting, place, characters, NPCs, or perhaps a mystery third option? Obviously, it's not all black and white. Drew, thank you so much for the question. Yes, it is a bit of a complicated question, which just asks, how much preparation do you do outside of just reading the adventure path in terms of Paizo material? What do you do for Giant Slayer, Troy? Well, just in case people don't know what the inner sea region is, it uh, just reading off the Pathfinder wiki, it refers to the continent of Avistan and the northern third of the continent of Garund. Both right. of which surround the area known as the Inner Sea in Galarian. If you've never looked at a map of the Pathfinder world of Galarian, it is fucking fascinating. Yeah. And while a lot of adventure paths take place in the Inner Sea, there are plenty that take place outside of it. That's true. And some of the big ones that we have discussed on this show before, Giant Slayer, Wrath of the Righteous, Rise of the Rune Lords, Curse of the Crimson Throne, these all take place like next door to each other yeah. in, in terms of nations. They're all a, a council of thieves. They're all really cl- hell's rebels. God, just, you know, they're all kind of close. So if you go and look at a map of them, you can just see how these stories can be connected. It's really neat. Oh yeah. Really when, neat. When you started uh, curse of the crimson throne re- recently, that all takes place in, um, Corvosa. Corvosa. And I said, you know, we're like right near the Minespin mountains, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. So on, Corvosa is on the other side of the Mindspin Mountains from Trunel. This is like right literally on the other side. Hop, skip, and a jump. Um, <laughs> so how much do I use? Yeah, how much source material do you use? And how much do you change in the AP in terms of the setting or the NPCs as written? Right. I sorry, I don't want to tip my hand too much. But like, what I like to do is I, I want to do as much research as I can for what I think the PCs are going to be interested in, you know. So when and this is something I've started to do a lot more recently is sometimes when I used to read adventure paths and would come across a name of something that I I would just like Google it very quickly. Oh, that's what that is of a, an area or of a deity or of a you know a, a historical incident in the world of Galarian. I would just kind of gloss over it. Now I Google it and note it down or keep a page on my iPad in case you guys want to roll a knowledge history for it. I can give you that information. I want to enrich you with the, a world that has been 
thoroughly investigated and created by these uh, and expertly published you know yeah. just expertly written so many different angles and areas and peoples and there are so many resources available to you if you're running an adventure path yet another reason to run an AP over uh, a homebrew that you'd be foolish not to use it because they've done all the work for you um, but at the same time I think it's important to know when to leave that uh, sort of path that they've laid out for you and tailor it specifically to your PCs. Now, does that mean I'm going to change the city of uh, Corvosa to, you know, uh, Minerva? Because one of the characters' last names is Minerva, and then there's some intrigue, like, did one of my ancestors build this town? Probably not. Probably certainly not with those big towns. But I've totally, certainly in Jade Region, I've made up uh, complete names of towns in the instant, or made up, uh, like, trading posts and whatnot just on the spot, just because I wanted to give you guys a little town that you could Chance go to trade, and rest yeah. and stuff like that. Well, let me point out that thing literally about Corvosa, and this goes directly to what Drew is asking about, do you keep things you know exactly as they are? I actually went through this during the process of starting up this adventure just six weeks ago. I went through this procedure of character creation with 10 different players. And if you're going to have an urban adventure, it is very common for the players to draw up their own backstories in the city as they envision it. And we had a session zero where I went over a lot of the city and, and it got people familiar with the districts and the neighborhoods. And then they generated these stories. And I would say six out of the 10 backstories had them either owning shops or places or being descendants of people that own shops or places. Uh, you know, their parents run an inn or I run a magical baubles store. I sell potions. I'm a level one wizard, whatever the case may be. And I specifically decided, and I didn't do this before when I ran Council of Thieves, I specifically decided to not allow any of that and only allow what is actually in the guide for Corvosa. So I said, oh, you wanted to be a, own an inn? Your parents own an inn. You own this inn. Instead, <laughs> instead, they're shareholders in this inn, and it's an inn that's already written ah. about because that inn is all fleshed out, and the player can go read all about it, what their clientele is like, what right. kind of customers come in there, when they're open. Some of the, I mean, the details are incredible. The nights that they have, or the, the, um, they have one night a month. They have the reenactments of some old battle, and they always do it, and everybody just gets drunk and has a good time. That kind of detail is so hard to grab in just some in just one backstory. Yeah. So yeah, I made a decision, and I think I want to try to stick with that more with this particular campaign of sticking with only what is in the AP and not writing my own locations. That said, I would be with all of the other stuff that I read about Corvosa outside of the Curse of the Crimson Throne Adventure Path, the Guide to Corvosa, for example, is a 60-page book that Paizo published separate from Curse of the Crimson Throne. Outside of the AP, it just details the city. And I read stuff in there that was so engaging and drew <laughs> me in so much that I was like, I have so much side quests material. I have so many ideas for running little mini encounters and offshoots when the players don't match up exactly to continue the main story and we want to kind of get maybe get people caught up on experience. I have so many great ideas because of that guide, yeah. which laid out awesome stories about things that are happening in the city that are not even covered in the AP. So, yeah, I would say, and and you mentioned this to me as we were setting up and talking about this briefly, which was they say in APs which other books to look at to oh, reference. Yeah. All the time in the Adventure Paths, they're like, uh, for more information on this, check out uh, the guide to... Uh, 
you know, Nirmathas or whatnot. You know, they right. every month they publish a new book of the current adventure path, and then once they finish six of them, they start a new adventure path. But in addition to that, I think almost every month they publish a source book or a guide to a region or to a type of culture uh, that right. lives in Galarian. Right, and and you can you can go into. Like you said, preparing what you would what would be interesting for your PCs, you can read something to support your giant slayer prep, like Dwarves of Galarian. Right. You have two dwarves in the party right now. They they're the history of the dwarves is heavily involved in this AP. There's a whole book out there that's only about the culture of that race. Yeah. You know, that is a really neat way to go about it. When I started creating Sir Will, I got Champions of Purity. It's a whole book about how to play a lawful good character that isn't boring. Oh, right. When Giant Slayer... And oftentimes when when these adventure paths are coming out, they'll have companion books come out about that world. So when Giant Slayer came out, there was a whole uh, book called Belkson, Hold of the Orc Hordes, I think, right? Yeah, and Belkson has been around since Galarian was first published, I think in 08 or 09, but only recently. And the Hold of Belkson had a outline drawn about what it was, what went on there, basically... And then years later, they published Giant Slayer, and they published a really detailed book that goes like camp by camp, village by village, tribe by tribe, yeah, every orc who the tribe. tribal leaders are, you know, all that stuff. Fifteen it's- different orc deities, like it's insane <laughs> the amount of material that's out there. So it's up to you as a GM, like how much do you want to flesh out the stuff outside of the adventure path? What's going to benefit your players most? Because that's really all that's important important what are they most interested in you know maybe they don't want all that other information or maybe they just want to use that for their own backstories that's fine but there is a wealth of material up there out there so you've got to decide what is most interesting to you and what's going to be most interesting to your players and that brings up two issues right uh, that i can think about right off the top of my head one is something you covered in a tumblr article a little while ago prioritizing right so as a gm prioritizing uh, out of all this information what is going to be valuable to your players but then also how much of that source material do you really want your players to read? Yeah. Because I know, for example, the Guide to Corvosa, it's good because it does have an area that has a spoiler warning. It's like if you're playing Curse of the Crimson Throne or if you're a player, don't read past this point because you're going to ruin surprises for yourself. But there's still stuff just in the main part that are not considered spoilers that I might not want my players reading because yeah. I want to create encounters surrounding it and not have it be something that they know inside and out. Well, what's nice is for every single adventure path that Paizo puts out, there is a free downloadable player's guide that the players can and should be reading before they start any adventure path. I oftentimes will read the first book of the adventure path and then immediately read the player's guide because I want to know not only what happens in the adventure, I want to know what the players are going to know before they start the adventure. And they're great. They're usually about 20 pages. They give you a little backstory about the world that you're starting and then they give you like tips like a bard would be a great class for this. A fighter would be a great. A this would be great. Right, There's if you're not a be- lot of wizards in this area. I read the giant slayer player's guide and it was like if you want to play a ranger things like favored enemy giant and favored enemy orc or dragon would go a long way you know and i picked undead (laughs) 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 it's funny though how they sow the seeds early favorite enemy dragon you you fought the river drakes in book two you didn't fight any dragon creatures yeah but now and now you're fighting drakes left and right um, so yeah, I mean, those players guides are phenomenal and they give you uh, as much, you know, 
as much background as you could ever need, but there's still more stuff out there. But you as a player should check with your GM before you start reading stuff, I think. Yeah. Because the the GM, it's so much as, it's all about surprise. The GM may want to surprise you with things, and if you already know everything, then it, it takes away from the fun. But um, going back to what the GM should or shouldn't prepare that's up to you and what you want to do for your players you might have players that really don't care about the history don't care at don't all care about, about the that. geography yeah. yeah then don't waste your time you know but you, you may still find it interesting and you can read it as much as you'd like but uh there's no shortage of material out there to read that is that is certainly true and one way to distill it uh, let me give you two basic ways to kind of narrow your search the first is and this isn't really so much narrowing as much as having everything in one place, which is I have a copy of the Pathfinder Chronicles campaign setting. That is the go-to book that I use for everything. That book contains summaries of every single race, every single major city, every nation, every ethnicity, every people that is in the entire inner sea region. It, the hold of Belkson is in there. The world wound is in there. And this is years before they published the adventures in those places and before they published the world wound, for example, which was an entire book that focused on the world wound the way Holds of Belkson did. Well, the world wound is still in there. It's just one page. It's a one page summary. It does all of the major deities. One page summary. It is a great one shot book for summaries of anything that you need to look up. Yeah, and you know, every single Paizo adventure path, in addition to telling you the story of that adventure path, has all these appendices, um, and oftentimes they have one good article that just expands one aspect of that particular adventure path. So in book two, there was a whole uh, thing about uh, missions in the mind spins. If your players wanted to like branch out and do other stuff in the mind spins, they have a bunch of stuff about that. And then ecology of the drake because you guys fought the river drakes on the mountain so it tells you a little bit about all different kinds of drakes and now i'm realizing why because you've already fought uh, or seen a bunch of drakes in this one yeah and and how about baron uh, or grant i should say is always on top of that he's like can i do a knowledge nature check to see if they if they usually are in pairs or yeah, if they, they he's always asking stuff like that right he's always stuff. asking stuff like that and that is the kind of source material that will help you answer that question really well if he has a good role. Yeah, and uh, you know, so there's there's plenty of if you want to do the bare minimum, at least read every page of the adventure path, which includes all the things and the player's guide and the player's guide, uh, all the things specific to the most important parts of the adventure that you're running currently. And I am writing articles as I can get time to explain what's going on in my in my curse game, and I'll keep you abreast of that too, like how this. This style is working out, not letting players create locations and settings, making it, forcing it to stay with the published material. I think it's going to make for a better adventure, really, in the long term, because you're going to have more detailed stuff to look at, and the players can read about it as well. You can all be on the exact same page. I think that is going to be, I think it's going to work out well. But if I feel like it's starting to stifle creativity, I'll I'll let you know. But I would suggest for right now, starting out new Try to stick with just what's there because just the background material on what's there is enough to keep you reading for months and months and months. Right, and if you don't want to do the work, just tell the GM what you're thinking and the GM can like work it into the world that already exists. Exactly. And then tell you, all right, well, read more about this place. Well, Drew, thank you again for the question. Really appreciate you guys writing in. Remember, glasscannonpodcast at gmail.com for all of your cannon fodder needs. All right, buddy, I am excited to see what this creature is. Was it large? 
Was it medium? Did you say? I can't remember. I think you probably misunderstood. (laughs) (laughs) I will see you next week, good buddy. All right. (laughs) So you'll play? Nah. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.